the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. They exercised faith over fear. They exercised faith over fear. Because I want you to try to imagine the kind of fear that would grip any parent's heart at the idea that their son could be killed, any child, but in the context of this story, that their son could be killed. And so in order to try to preserve his life, they're going to do something somewhat risky, but they're going to trust God. And so they put him in this little makeshift raft and they put him off in the Nile River. I mean, you got to imagine the fear, the terror, the, the worry, the anxiety, but, but they're trusting God with all of this. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. As a baby, Moses' parents placed him in a raft and sent him down the river in order to save his life. They faithfully believed that God would protect their child, and they fully placed him in his hands. Pastor Gary teaches you today that this level of faithfulness is what you should strive for. You should be willing and able to place the most important things in your life into the hands of God when He asks that of you. Think of what things are most valuable to you and ask yourself whether or not you're willing to give them up for God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Joseph talks about how what you meant for evil, you brothers who intended to harm me and kill me and betray me, what you meant for evil, God intended for good for his purposes. And God in His sovereign plan has worked everything out. It's okay, and I don't have any resentment, bitterness, anger. I forgive you. And he weeps. And God took care of Joseph. And His one request, when I die, there's great reconciliation with the whole family. He says, when I die, I want my bones carried back to Israel. I want my bones carried back to the promised land. Because he'd never go back there in his lifetime. From the time he was 17 and sold into slavery when he was betrayed by his brothers, he never again would see his homeland. And his heart was always back in his homeland. His life was in Egypt, but his heart was in Israel. It reminds me very much of David Livingston. Many of you are familiar with the medical missionary David Livingston. He was from from England. He lived in the 1800s. He died in 1873 of malaria and dysentery. But he was a missionary to Africa a medical missionary. And he, David Livingston, in the 1800s, mind you, traveled 29,000 miles on foot as, as a medical missionary throughout Africa. And 
when he died of malaria and dysentery in what is today the equivalent of Zambia. That's where he died, in that location of Africa, in the interior of Africa. He died in Africa. And the native people that he administered to and, and witnessed to and evangelized in the 1800s, okay, those wonderful African people carried his body on their shoulders for a thousand miles so that they could get to the coast of Africa where then his body could be put on a ship and sent back to England because he wanted to be buried back in England. But before they carried his body a thousand miles to the coast where it could get on a ship and be taken to England to be buried, the African people removed his heart and buried it there in a tree in Zambia because that was David Livingston's request. He said, you can bury my body in England, but my heart is here in Africa, and I will always have a heart for Africa. And so his heart was buried in Africa, but they took his body a thousand miles to get on a ship to be buried back in England. It's very similar in some ways here. Joseph is saying, my heart has always been in my homeland. I haven't seen it since I was 17. He says, make a promise to me that when I die, my bones will eventually be carried back to my promised land, back to the homeland, back to Israel. Now, what's interesting is that Joseph didn't really understand, but what would happen is there'd be 400 years of slavery. Because the Bible says that after Joseph died, the Pharaoh, sorry, after Joseph died, and that Pharaoh with whom he served and for whom he served died, the next Pharaoh was not favorably disposed to the Jewish people, to the Hebrew people. And so the Hebrew people ended up being enslaved. Joseph's family who came down there to escape the famine of Israel ended up, 70 who, ended, who initially came, ended up being enslaved. They populated though while they were down there, and over the next 400 years, those 70 that came down ended up becoming three to three and a half million. And the Pharaoh and the succeeding Pharaohs over the next 400 years were not favorably disposed to the Hebrew people, and they enslaved them for those 400 years. And Joseph, not even necessarily understanding all that, maybe some of that was revealed to him by the Spirit, I don't, I don't know, but not even understanding all that, he's like, I want you to carry my bones back to my homeland. And so he gave that instruction. It's the closing verses of Genesis chapter 50. And then in Exodus 13, 19, it tells us that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear on oath, and he had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. So in Exodus 13, 19, we see that Moses is fulfilling the request of Joseph. He takes the bones with him when eventually the Hebrew people are allowed to go by the providential hand of God, moving on the heart of Pharaoh. And Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. He hands the bones off to Joshua, and it tells us in Joshua 24, 32, and Joseph's bones, which the Israelites had brought up from Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the tract of land that Jacob bought for a hundred pieces of silver from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. This became the inheritance of Joseph's descendants. Somewhere between 300 and 400 years after the death of Joseph, his bones would eventually be buried in Shechem in the promised land. Now, Listen, there's a lot of things that go through my head with this story. Like one question is, who kept track of the bones for 300 years? 
who was that guy? Who was, who was Bone Boy? That's what I want to know. You know, who was that guy who's like, okay, I'm going to be responsible. Then before I die, now you're responsible. And then, and then that guy's like, hey, before I die, you're responsible. I mean, for goodness sakes, this had to be the providential hand of God. If I had said to anybody, listen, you know, carry my bones somewhere 400 years, 400 years later. Let me tell you something. 10 years after I made that request, my bones would accidentally be in a blue recycling bin at the curb. People would forget. Be like, oh, whoops, sorry, we put your bones in a recycling bin and the truck's already come. That's just the way it would be for most of us. But for whatever reason here, in the providential hand of God, God's like, he makes sure that over the succeeding generations, for almost 400 years, Joseph's wishes are fulfilled and his bones are buried in the promised land. And it was as if, see, why is he mentioned here in the hall of faith? And this particular request, I want my bones buried in the promised land. Because he was looking ahead, and he was looking forward. You see, in biblical typology, typology is just a fancy word that means some things in Scripture are symbolic of other things. In biblical typology, Egypt represents the world. And the Hebrew slaves, the slavery of Egypt, represents slavery to the world. Okay, it's a picture of sin. It's a type of, it's typology of the world and sin and bondage to sin. Okay, but the promised land is biblical typology of the future hope that we have, the ultimate reward of heaven, right? And by the way, Moses didn't lead the people in because Moses represents what? The law. It was Yahashua, it was Joshua, his protege, who led the people in. Joshua, Yahashua means the Lord is salvation. Joshua was a picture, a type of Christ. It's only through Christ that we get ultimately the promised land. And so the picture of faith here is that here's Joseph, this guy who's living in the type of this worldly environment, bondage to the world. Sin is our slave, right? We're slaves to sin. And then along comes eventually God's prophet Moses and then Joshua, his protege, the Lord of salvation, ushering the people into the promised land. And so there's this picture here, whereas Joseph was a man who by faith lived for what was the ultimate, so by faith we live for what is the ultimate. Just a, oh, He's a wonderful example uh, of a man of faith. And so I'd encourage you, go back in your Bibles later and, and read the, the latter third of the book of Genesis, because it's, it's devoted to, to his wonderful example. Well, uh, number eight on the list we see here now are Moses' parents. If you look in verse 23, it says, By faith Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. Don't we all think that about our kids when they're born, right? There's something different here. They saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. All right, so they're not mentioned by name, but I'm putting their names up for you because we we do find their names elsewhere in Scripture. Actually, they're only mentioned twice in the Bible uh, by name in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, and they're also mentioned by name in Numbers 26, verse 59. So Moses' dad's name is Amram, and his mother's name was Jochebed. Um, And by the way, just some free information, Exodus 6, 20 tells us that Amram married his father's sister. Now everybody just collectively go, ew. All right, so now that we got that out of the way. So Yachabed was Amram's aunt. So Amram is the only person 
who could say that his son was also his cousin? Think about it. Well, probably not the only one. I've got some cousins in West Virginia who could say that too. But anyway. But, just, you know, it's, it's, it was the day, and so it's just kind of, you know, a little interesting. But anyway, I just throw that out to you, free information. All right. Um, Jacobed, by the way, is the first person in the Bible, this is Moses' mother, who bears the name of God as part of her compound name. First person in all of the Bible who bears the proper name of God as part of her compound name, Yachabed. So the first part of her name is Yah, which is short for Yahweh. And Chabed, or Chabad, is the word in Hebrew for glory. So her name literally means is, her glory is God. Yachabed. And so these are Moses' parents. And they're listed here, again, not by name, just by reference, but we know their names in other parts of the Bible. And they're listed here as people of faith. Why? Well, because in Exodus chapter 1, again, now we're moving chronologically in the events. So Joseph dies Another pharaoh comes to the throne who's not favorably disposed to the Hebrew people. He enslaves them. And among these Hebrew slaves now are Moses' parents. And this wicked pharaoh at this particular time gave an edict. It's it's given to us in Exodus chapter 1. When he saw the slave population beginning to grow... Because God continued to multiply the, the numbers of the Hebrew people, even though they were enslaved and brutally mistreated. Uh, the Pharaoh saw the number of Hebrew slaves con- increasing. He got nervous. He thought it, the more the slave population increases, you know, they could be a threat to us. They could overtake us. So he gives this horrible edict in the land of Egypt that every Hebrew baby who is born, if it's a boy kill it. If it's a girl, let her live. He's trying to weed out the potential threat of the male population of the Hebrew slaves becoming a threat to the Egyptians. So he gives this order. It's basically, it's infanticide. It's partial birth abortion. As the the baby's being born, if you see that it's a boy, kill it. This is the edict that he was given. Again, nothing has changed. It's like we're reading our newspapers. When people say to me, you know, the Bible's a really outdated book. I'm like, really? Because things really haven't changed too much. So we see it in the Bible. We're, we're, seeing, we're seeing partial birth abortion. We're seeing, you know, all abortion is wrong, but, you know, it's particularly horrible, the, the thought of, like, the, you know, the third trimester and the partial birth abortion. And so, you know, for people who every once in a while want to gently say to me, you know, stay out of the, stay out of the argument about abortion and stuff. Hey, God engaged in the argument. He's got a whole chapter in Exodus chapter 1 about how horrific it was. And as a result, it tells us in Exodus 1.17 that the Hebrew midwives, the women who were delivering these babies, right? It says they feared God more and did not obey the king. So when they were delivering these babies, and they saw it was a baby boy, they're like, well, we're not killing this because we got to obey God. And so they would keep the baby boys, and among one of these baby boys born during this time when this edict went out about killing these baby boys was Moses. And he's born to Amram and Yachabed. And it says that when he's three months old, they can't hide him any longer. You know, I mean, I guess at that point, like he's, he's cooing too much or crying too loudly or whatever. So they're trying to hide him. 
Because they know if, if he is discovered by an Egyptian, he's going to be killed. So they try to do all they can to hide him after he's born. But at the age of three months, they realize we just can't hide him any longer. And so they do a very, somewhat of a risky thing. But this is the reason why they're in the hall of faith, because they're going to trust God with their child, which is always a good reminder for any of us, right? We got to trust God with our children. And so they decide they're going to make a little basket out of reeds and Jacobed lines the basket with tar pitch to make it, uh, you know, so that, so that it'll be able to float on the water. And um, she, makes, she waterproofs it with this process of pitch and tar, places little three-month-old baby Moses in this little makeshift reed basket. By the way, we don't really know his original name. I'll explain that in a moment. And she pushes him off into the Nile River. And she's just, tra- just trusting God and praying. And in God's providence of things, Pharaoh's daughter goes down to the Nile to bathe, and she finds this basket. And she's actually the one that gives him the name Moses. She gives him a Hebrew name because she can tell he's a Hebrew boy. So she gives him the name Moshe. That's the, that's the name he, Moses. And Moshe means drawn out because she draws him out of the water now by the way when you put all that together in case you didn't know pharaoh's daughter was great with money because the bible says that she went down to the bank of the nile and withdrew a little profit all right there you go there you go all right that's the joke for the night that's an oldie but goodie friends she names him Moisha, meaning drawn out. She draws him out of the water. We don't even know what his original given name was. It's not mentioned anywhere in the Bible. Some of you are going to think on that joke. You're going to use it later yourself. <laughs> and, uh, and so, but she takes him out of the water and she raises him as her own. Now, what's amazing here is that Moses' parents are listed because they trust him. They trust God with their son, and they defied an earthly king in order to honor a heavenly king. And in doing that, they exercised faith over fear. They exercised faith over fear. Because I want you to try to imagine the kind of fear that would grip any parent's heart at the idea that their son could be killed, any child, but in the context of this story, that their son could be killed And so in order to try to preserve his life, they're going to do something somewhat risky, but they're going to trust God. And so they put him in this little makeshift raft and they put him off in the Nile River. I mean, you got to imagine the fear, the terror, the the worry, the anxiety, but, but they're trusting God with all of this. And they opted for faith over fear, faith over fear. We're afraid for his life. We're afraid of what Pharaoh's going to do. We're afraid of this, but we are going to opt for faith over fear. You know, faith can't operate at the same time fear does. It's, it's an antithesis. Where we have fear, perfect love drives out fear, by the way, right? So the more fear we have, the more God we need. And the more we get in his presence and we, and we soak up scripture and we just, you know, lay hold of God, the more that love that we have with him will drive out the fear of our hearts and then we can be people who exercise faith and they opted for faith over fear and that's why they're listed here in the hebrew hall of faith and then 
we read the next few verses about their son Moses. And so verse 22 down through verse, uh, sorry, verse 24 through 28. By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Talking about the Lord. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. All right, so next on our list here is Moses himself. And um, Moses grows up a child of privilege. I mean, you've been adopted by the most powerful man on the planet's daughter. You're going to grow up in Pharaoh's palace, which he did. And he's this child of privilege. Uh, everything he could possibly want or need was at his disposal. Uh, Stephen, when, when he was giving a, a, a recitation of Israel's history just before he was stoned in Acts chapter 7, 22, he said Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. So he had the best life possible, best education possible. He was you know, living in a wealthy household, uh, a child of privilege. And yet, he knew and understood his Hebrew heritage. Somewhere along the way, and the Bible doesn't give us all the details, but he, he understood, you know, maybe from the very beginning, Pharaoh's daughter explained this to him so that he knew and he understood. And, and it was hard for him because though he was a child of privilege, his heart ached when he saw his own Hebrew people being mistreated as slaves. And it ached so much and it bothered him so much that not saying this is the right thing, but he took matters into his own hands. And one time when he saw an Egyptian mistreating a fellow Hebrew of his, he killed the Egyptian. He killed the Egyptian, hit him in, in the sand, thought nobody has seen what I've done, but people had seen what he had done and they tweeted it all out. And so now everybody knew. And can you imagine, I mean, the social media the craziness in our world today, but you know, back in the day, even, even people can see firsthand and they saw. And so he ran, he fled, he fled to Midian. And the next 40 years he would spend in the desert of Midian where God would shape him into being a shepherd because God would use him to go back and to lead the Hebrew slaves out of their slavery into the promised land. And so God used the 40 years while Moses was in the, Midian, the desert of Midian to shape him and refine him. And what is so great and admirable about Moses is that even though he had all of this privilege at his disposal... He didn't see all those things as of greater value in the present than what he knew in his heart was Christ in the future. And so he denied himself those things for the sake of the greater value of life, which was Christ. His identity was more about being a child of God, even if that meant hardship and mistreatment, than in being the adopted grandson of Pharaoh with all of its privileges and pleasures. He was willing to suffer. He was willing to be mistreated, to be disgraced in the present for the sake of Christ in the future. Because he, you know, he, God had revealed and put it in the heart of these people that there was this great and ultimate promise. And, you know, even Moses understood the idea of Messiah because he even spoke about how there would come a prophet like me to be raised up among our brothers. 
So Moses even understood these things. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Hebrews again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary's Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. We'd encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so you're able to keep up to date with every new program we post as soon as we make it available. You can even download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go, in every circumstance you find yourself in. All this is found at our website. Again, that address is cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd love to know how God is leading you and changing your heart. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners and we feel honored to be able to pray for your requests. Give us a call at 703-771-1500. We'd be happy to do our best to answer your questions and tell you more about this ministry, along with the church it stems from, Cornerstone Chapel. So don't hesitate to call. That number again is 703-771-1500. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know.